Good morning. If you ever uh, have the opportunity to walk up on this platform, and you're welcome to do it, of course, anytime, but uh, maybe not now, but at some point, <laughs> um, you'll notice taped to the pulpit is a little note uh, kind of scrawled out on, uh, just taped onto the center of the pulpit that says, Remember the world. It's been there uh, really ten, exactly 10 years ago. It was actually 10 years ago this season when I was, had, I was a new president, been here several months at that point, and I noticed that um, the prayers I'd heard prayed from this pulpit uh, had, been, had not really ever left the city limits of Wilmore. And so I said in a sermon, kind of in passing, but nevertheless, a, child, you know, a gentle rebuke, that maybe if an outsider had slipped into our midst, they might have thought that we were worshiping a, the tribal deity of Wilmore, Kentucky. Well, J.D. Walt, who was the dean of the chapel at the time, he took out a piece of paper and he scrawled on there with a, with a marker, remember the world, and taped it to this pulpit. And so fast forward about uh, eight or nine years, uh, we, of course, renovated this chapel space and we had all of the pews taken out and the pulpit taken out for refinishing, sealing, staining, etc., to refresh the whole place, and that's part of our renewal. And uh, I remembered at some point that this sticker would have been on the pulpit, and I knew it would be ripped off and, uh, you know, taken away. And so I thought, we can't have that. So, but it was already in a warehouse somewhere. So uh, I asked one of our, my VPs to call the warehouse and find out if the sticker was still there. And if they had not gotten the pulpit yet, they restored the, they brought the sticker back to me, and I have now restored it to the pulpit. Remember the world. And the reason for that is because it reminds us that we need to be taught how to pray and that our prayers are to be always growing in a more than we can imagine it could be. And the context for this uh, text today is, of course, Jesus himself, who is uh, noticing that the prayers that he observed around him were not right. They were not sufficient. They were vain repetitions. They were ornate in their verbosity, but they were not actually true prayers to God. And they thought they could be heard by the repetition of the many words, etc. Around the world, there are many, many examples of this where prayer is done in, in rote repetitions. You have prayer wheels where you put prayers in and people spin the prayer wheel to multiply the prayers, all of that. And Jesus instead teaches us how to pray. In the Luke text, to which this is a parallel, in Luke 11, the disciples actually ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And the response is this particular prayer. Now, this uh, series, as uh, Jessica mentioned, is uh, a 12-part series on the means of grace. But in the midst of this series, three of the parts deal with prayer in various ways. And two weeks ago, we dealt with kind of spontaneous, raw, kind of crying out to God, which is so important for our lives. Uh, the, you know, the desperate widow, the persistent widow, you know, Lord, grant me justice against my adversary. It's a great, earthy, gutsy prayer. And that's very, very important. We also must learn other aspects of prayer. And there's two parts to this series that I was not able to work into the series, but one is on silence. Silence is a real important means of grace. Uh, the other I'll mention a little more about is the, the role of fasting and prayer. 
uh, uh, fasting is decried in the text for being done as a show to others, but fasting is an important spiritual discipline uh, for all Christians. And I have here uh, in the, uh, underneath here, I have a, uh, some hand sanitizer from my, uh, my house. And you'll, many of you have these, right? All these, these are kind of everywhere nowadays. And suddenly they just populated. You find them everywhere. But if you ever read carefully the label, it says this. Kills 99.9% of all germs. Have you noticed that? Have you ever thought about the point one? <laughs> okay. It's really important. There's a scholar at Duke University who studied the point one. Praise God for scholarship, you know? Someone woke up one morning and said, I want to look into the point one. Why will this not kill? You, know, you cannot buy 100%. If you have, there's all kinds of detergents, clean solutions that will say 99.9. So the reason is because there is a certain uh, kind of bacteria, it's actually a family of bacterias that are at 1.1% that cannot be taken away by anything like this. Comet, Sanitizer, it will not kill it. In fact, one of the real interesting studies is they particularly love to thrive in these bottles because all their competition has been taken out. So this is filled with 0.1. You, you live with it all the time, you just don't know it. But the point being is that this cannot take out that particular uh, problem. Jesus says that some things cannot be dealt with by ordinary prayer. They must be accompanied with prayer and fasting. And of course, it's right here in Matthew 17, 21, this very uh, gospel. So fasting is a really another important part. There's certain things in your life that, you, that really have to be accompanied by fasting. And I will say more about that in other times, but I just wanted to mention that. But you also should know that there is, there is no tension and should not be viewed as a tension between two weeks ago and today in terms of a form prayer versus spontaneous prayer. And sometimes we have a false narrative that pits these against one another. And the reason is because form prayers or set prayers function in two ways. One is the obvious way. They, they're a prayer that we can emulate and copy, and many people can pray. And I'll mention why we do that in a minute. But the other is that form prayer also forms a pattern into which you can pray spontaneously. So if you ever, uh, for example, are given a puzzle, I don't know if you like puzzle making. I love puzzle making, but if you get a puzzle with 250 pieces or 1,000 pieces or whatever, how do you do it? How do you start? You start with the, I heard someone say edges. Can you hear me okay back there? Y'all can hear me? Good. All right. Sometimes the choir you know, gets muffled. But it's the edges. And so you, you establish the edges and then you fill in the pieces. Well, form prayers are like that. They, the Lord's Prayer provides a structure of prayer into which you can pour all kinds of wonderful prayers. And we're going to actually end our service today by doing uh, just that. Now, the, the corporate prayer that we're given, notice that when the disciples ask about the prayer, Lord, teach us to pray. They do not say, Peter does not say, Lord, teach me to pray. But Lord, teach us to pray. There is a corporate dimension to prayer that requires a remarkable fact that God gave us this gift of this form prayer, one of many in the Bible. Now, the power of a form prayer is, first of all, it allows us 
And it, it reorients us to have a kingdom focus. That's why we had to put the sticker on the, on, the, on the pulpit. Because we don't, in our own natural self, we tend toward our own needs, our own issues, our own problems, right? And so the form prayer forces us to think about prayer differently. So it's a kingdom-focused prayer, delivered us from normalizing mediocrity, and it gives us deliverance from that weak, generic kind of prayers. I often think about prayers I hear that could be prayed in the temple of Aphrodite. They could be prayed in a Muslim mosque because they're not actually filled with Christian content. It's not a kingdom prayer. It's just kind of a generic babbling prayer. Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't pray generic babbling prayers. Pray prayers that are kingdom-focused. I love also the fact that when we pray, we don't simply pray wherever our heart leads us to pray, wherever our wandering heart leads us. God gives us content. He gives us words to pray. And these words, secondly, are words that have been prayed throughout the ages. Isn't it a great thing to pray prayers and prayed by all Christians throughout the whole history of the church? So today, we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray that in Catholicity. It's the expression of Catholicity. We pray it with Perpetua. We pray it with Augustine, with Monica, with Catherine of Siena, with Luther, Wesley, and all the rest who have also prayed this prayer. I also believe that form prayers, I love this phrase in Irenaeus, where prayers like this, they habituate the Christian life in us. That is to say that when we make a habit of praying certain prayers, they actually begin to norm things in us. They lay tracks inside of us that allow us to travel properly in the Christian faith. It's about self-training yourself to how to pray. For many, the Christian faith is like a recreational activity. It's something you do in your spare time, something you do on the weekends, But that's not what prayer is. Prayer habituates it into the whole of our lives, and it's something that we do that takes our whole life to grow into. Augustine himself said, and it's a misunderstanding passage, but in the the eighth chapter of his his confessions, he, of course, has that amazing experience of of his conversion in the garden, the the talilege, talilege. But in chapter 9, he talks about his life ambition to be a Christian, What he means by that is not to become a Christian, but what it means to be a Christian. This is one of Wesley's emphasis, right? What it means to live out the Christian life, and certainly at the heart of that is prayer. One of our series, uh, points of this series, will also be the role of the Psalms in prayer, and we're going to do that uh, in uh, the ninth part of this series. I'm going to do a joint sermon with my wife, Julie. So we're going to do a joint sermon together on the role of the Psalms in prayer. But, so we're not going to mention the Psalms today, but there are 650 prayers in the Bible in addition to the Psalms. There are canticles in the Bible. They're full of prayers. They've been put to, to or passages put to prayers. And you think about prayers like, the most famous prayer in our day is probably the prayer of Jabez, which uh, was produced, was not produced, it was written about in the year 2000 by David Wilkinson. And this prayer kind of became like a prayer industry on that book, on that book a prayer on that, around that book. But I, I, I think the prayer of Jabez is a remarkable prayer in the Bible. And I wanted to say publicly, I want to bring this up because this seminary has been deeply blessed by that particular prayer. Uh, our most uh, generous uh, and, and, and just sacrificial donor to Asbury completed his uh, 
you know, his life in the business world, and he got to retirement, and he decided to do something different with his life at retirement. And he prayed one time, the prayer of Jabez, that God would bless him, but it wasn't as self-referential as it's often used today, to, you know, the Lord bless, make me rich so I can whatever. It was said, he said, Lord, <clears throat> I'm going to pray the prayer of Jabez that you will bless me and that you will enlarge my territory and whatever you do in my life, whatever, however you bless me, I'm going to use that for the kingdom. And Callus Village is here today because of that prayer. Um, Galloway Village is here because of that prayer. Our community house is here because of that prayer. Our church planning program is here because of that prayer. And probably around $10 million of scholarships are here because of that prayer. So I think it's not a bad prayer. <laughs> Praying, just a prayer from Jabez brought in. Think about prayers like the ironic blessing in number six. One of my favorites is Jonah's prayer in Jonah 2. I, I actually set that to meter so you could sing it. It is a very powerful prayer, the prayer that Jonah prays as he's sinking down, that, that little liminal space between when he's thrown off of the boat and when the, the fish swallows him up. There's a prayer in there. That's the kind of prayer you need at times when you're in that space uh, between God, the crisis, and God's deliverance. Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, Mary's Magnificat. Don't you love that prayer of the tax collector in Luke 18, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? It's a great prayer. Jesus' high priestly prayer, Paul's great apostolic prayers in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1. There's so many of those. 2 Corinthians are full of them. Paul has these amazing prayers that can become our prayers as we learn to walk in them. But I think the gem of all of them is this one, the Lord's Prayer. And if you think about this prayer uh, comes to us, I'm going to just say a few general things about it. It comes to us in resonance with other ways in which Christ summarizes things for us. For example, the, uh, the Decalogue in the Old Testament, as you know, operates in a kind of twofold way. You have honoring God and our own, how we honor one another, right? Uh, when the Lord is told to summarize the, the great, the, all the commandments, love God, love your neighbor. So in this sense, this Lord's Prayer works like that. It's in the same key as that. The first part of the prayer focuses on God's glory, on thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. And then it does transition to how God comes and meets us, you know, give us, forgive us, lead us, etc. All of that is very much part of it. I'm really struck by the fact that the whole prayer opens with the word our. Again, this is that great emphasis on the corporate nature of prayer. Our Father our Father. Disciples teach us to pray. And then, of course, the fact that it says Father, this is that it invites us into this intimate space with God. See, we're learning about not just this prayer, but all prayer, aren't we? We're learning about the way prayer is structured and how God calls us to that. Our Father who is in heaven, uh, we, we acknowledge where who he is, his place in the universe and ours. <clears throat> the the uh, we often read, read prayers like this and don't realize that these prayers are themselves Christ is bringing to us out of all of his experience as a young Jewish boy growing up 
and giving himself to the prayers of the church, particularly in the Psalms and the, the Kaddish prayers of Judaism. Judaism had, and still does, a Kaddish prayer, which is their version of the Lord's Prayer that they prayed. And in the first century, there was a very popular Aramaic version of this prayer. And so Jesus would have very likely grown up being exposed to this prayer. And it, again, it, it shows the depth of these prayers because that prayer, for example, exalts his name. May his name be great and sanctified in the world. And the response to the congregation, may his name be great and blessed forever to all eternity. So to exalt the name of God is to exalt his holy character, his covenantal purposes, and his redemptive power. And then I love the fact that this prayer is deeply eschatological. It, it looks to the new creation. It orients us. Because so much of our prayer life can orient us to our own needs, our own challenges, our own problems. And these are important to the Lord. But also we need to be oriented toward the new creation. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your future kingdom, your future will. Again, the, the, the Kaddish prayer May he establish his kingdom, it said, in the response of the congregation, blessed be his glorious kingdom, which is forever. Now, I also love that it actually brings the whole, I think it's one of the great themes of Wesleyanism, it's a Christian theme, which is that the whole of heaven is to be brought to bear upon earth, right? And that's simply a future hope, like a by and by thing, but actually, Lord, uh, may your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven, right? So the whole idea, the marriage of heaven and earth is at the heart of the whole Christian experience. <clears throat> We're already living out the future new creation in the present. And so as a Christian, we are, we're praying in a way that allows us to sit, look at the world and see how can we bring the new creation into the present order. And that leads us to all kinds of very powerful applications to how this prayer works out in our lives. The, the, the way of that knot of heaven and earth. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, this is that dailiness, that word, uh, epiousion there, the word for daily is only found here in the entire New Testament. Only here and in the Luke passage, the two places of the Lord's Prayer, the dailiness of it. The dailiness. Lord, we need you every day. Your hope is not in your pension plan. Your hope is not in your pension plan. And since probably very few of you have a pension plan, you're thankful for that. Your hope is in the living God. Your hope is in God who provides our needs. Everything we have can be swept away. But God meets us every day. And one of the great about the manna principle and the manna was they, of course, the manna was provided every day. And the manna, of course, in John 6 becomes Christ is the true manna. So again, the great eschatological hope meets even our dailiness in the way God provides his daily manna for us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, the, this is where the Presbyterians and the, uh, we get all tangled up in trespasses or debts. The uh, Roman Catholics do not have the doxology at the end. And some churches use debts and trespasses. But it's all the same prayer. It's the prayer of actually of Matthew here. But that it really draws upon the Matthew 18 text where you have <clears throat> this 
It's a wonderful parable about the man who had been forgiven what amounts to a million dollars, over a million dollars had been forgiven. And he was about to be thrown into prison. He comes back out into the streets, a free person, and he meets someone who owes him what amounts to $5. And what does he do? He chokes him to death, tries to choke him because he wants his $5. And when, that, when the master heard about that, he was judged. In the same way, the whole of trespassing and forgiveness is brought into that context. We are forgiven as we forgive others. And the whole uh, role of forgiveness and reconciliation is the heart of this part of the prayer. Very, very crucial key part. Lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. There will be testing. The Lord will allow us to be tested. But we pray that we'll not fail the test. We will pass the test. And the only way to pass the test is to have the dailiness of the rhythms of prayer. Now, the concluding doxology is a, is a part of, a, again, Jewish tradition to end psalms with a doxology. And, of course, the Christian church did that. But I also want to introduce to you um, the Book of Common Prayer as something that you should ask for as your Christmas present. If your family refused to give it to you, let me know. I will get one to you. Because this is a gift to the church. Now, one of the, one of the things that's often uh, misunderstood in the Book of Common Prayer, this, prayer, this book of, of prayer was compiled by Thomas Cranmer. He did author some of it, but he mostly compiled it from very, very ancient prayers in the church. So this goes back, these prayers have many Latin traditions, Greek traditions, there's German prayers, actually a lot of uh, sources he drew upon to bring together what is now the Book of Common Prayer. Now the history of this is that when Edward VI became the king, was the first Protestant king of England, uh, he only lived to 16 years old. He had a very short reign, but he opened up uh, the land to the Protestant Reformation, and so Thomas Cranmer was one of the leaders of the English Reformation. And they wanted to establish a prayer book. Now, it's called the Book of Common Prayer. does not mean the Book of Ordinary Prayers. The word common here means Book of Shared Prayers. These are prayers that we share together. And these are prayers, again, it's not simply the English tradition. I mean, it is, was a gift from the English tradition, but it's a gift from the whole church. This has been put into hundreds of languages so whatever your language is, we heard today, the Book of Common Prayer is in that language as well. So you're able to draw upon the whole history of the church's prayers. And by the way, Thomas Cranmer is one of the Oxford martyrs because shortly after this very few years, I think five years, the reign of Edward VI, when he died unexpectedly at 16 years old, uh, that's when Mary I came into uh, power, so-called Bloody Mary. Now, Mary uh, is responsible for at least, at least 286 Protestant reformers being burned at the stake. So Thomas Cranmer, who compiled the Book of Common Prayer, was one of those burned at the stake. The, the famous, what's now known as the Oxford Martyrs, 
Thomas Ridley, uh, Hugh Latimer, and uh, I mean, Nicholas, Nicholas Ridley, Thomas Cranmer, and Hugh Latimer burned at the stake because of this book, prayer book and what is found in this prayer book because it expresses long-standing faith of the church in this book. Now, I want to just bring two of the prayers before you uh, on the overhead. Uh, the first is one you'll know, uh, just to get, remind you of some of these prayers, because we often pray this uh, prior to the Eucharist uh, when, we, when we come before. And this is a prayer that, again, this particular prayer is an example of my point. This prayer was written in the 10th century. Cranmer included it in the 16th century in the Book of Common Prayer, but this prayer is a thousand years old and actually is based on Psalm 139. So in that sense, it's 3,000 years old. But this prayer where you say, Lord, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secret is hid. Now, isn't that a great opening to prayer? You see, that's a form prayer but it's teaching us about how the posture of prayer. How do we approach God in prayer? This is a great gift to us. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit. We perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's a great prayer. Another one I love from the World Cocoon Prayer is and it's done at different times, but the next one is from the fourth Sunday after Easter. It's a colic. Now, a colic is from the word collective. We co- it's a co- collective prayer. And I pray this prayer every week. And it goes like this. Almighty God, who alone does uh, rescue us from the unruly wills and passions of sinful men and women, give us grace to love what you command and to desire what you promise, that through the changes and chances of this fleeting world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where lasting joys will be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, prayers like that will sustain you and will help you. Just this morning, I read this phrase about the incarnation and Advent. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature and the incarnation. There's so many great rich prayers here, and I really, really encourage you the last thing I want to say before we close in prayer is I also have in front of my Bible what I call uh, my, these are pers- my personal set prayers, which I'm going to share with you. Um, and I, th- these are not like, you know, you should pray these prayers because you have your own prayers. But I do believe that if your prayer life, and I'm speaking to you pastorally here, this is not like a proclamation sermon, this is more of a pastoral sermon, but I, I really want to encourage you to Sit down and think about prayers that you need to pray for yourself every day that are not based on the crisis of the moment. All right, so I have seven prayers. The fact that I pray, they don't see, don't, when you see these prayers, don't say, well, the president thinks that he embodies them. And the whole point is, I don't embody them. That's why I pray them. All right, you're praying that God would embody these into your life. And so I... I think I've been praying this maybe for 15 years. Uh, something Somewhere on that, from 15 years ago, I decided to create uh, some, some set prayers for myself. Let me just show them to you. The first one, is, and they're right here in my, in my Bible. Lord, grant me a spirit of repentance before you. 
Okay, this is, a, this is a prayer that I pray that Lord would, in other words, help me to recognize the sins in my life and the gap between who I am and the holiness of God. Isn't that a good prayer? Lord, grant me a spirit of repentance. The second one is, Lord, teach, give me a teachable, humble attitude towards all your children. And I have verses uh, supporting all of these, but... You know, when you're interacting with people, uh, it's very easy to slip into, you know, I know it all, I know what's best, or whatever, rather than actually learning and listening. And many times, even your most virulent critics, I have found, are God's gift to you. When I was in a church, my first church, I had uh, two people especially that were really, really negative. Oh, my goodness. So someone said to me one time, a very wise person said, you know, when you uh, leave the church, don't ever leave a church because of Brother Rock and Sister Sandpaper, because every church has them. Because when you leave Brother Rock and Sister Sandpaper, and you go to the new church where you think it's the promised land, when you get there, guess what? Brother Rock and Sister Sandpaper are waiting for you. They just have a different name, different faces, but they're there. So every, you know, this is the nature of ministry. You, you have challenges, people that are challenging my first pastorate, a person pulled me aside and said, this one woman, you've got to be careful about her. She will really be out to get you. Well, we had a great relationship. I never had a day of problem with her. But I had other people that I had challenges with. And so I think this is something that you have to always pray for a teachable attitude. Third, Lord, grant me wisdom and understanding. Uh, it's so important. Uh, your life is full of decisions and especially if you're a pastor or a leader, a, a professor here, or in my role, we have a lot of decisions to make, and I pray that God gives me wisdom. It's a very important prayer for me. I can't do it on my own. Uh, fourth, Lord, grant me a passion for ministry and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want to be anointed by God in my life, my ministry, and you cannot, it doesn't just happen, you have to pray that God would do that in your life and show you where, where you need his filling and refilling. Fifthly, Lord, grant me a heart for sacrificial service and teach me the way of love. It's a great Christian prayer. Teach us the way of love. Teach us to sacrifice for others. It's such an important part of our, our aspirations for who we are, how we can serve those around us. Sixth, Lord, grant me to be doctrinally pure and to keep faith with your apostles. I want to pray. I don't want, I've seen so many ministries shipwrecked. I mean, so many, hundreds of them. Started out strong, end up shipwrecked, doctrinally or morally. And I don't want that to happen to me. And I pray every day that God would keep me doctrinally pure and morally pure. And finally, Lord, grant me to multiply my faith and life in others. I don't want to ever lose my heart for evangelism and for multiplying my life and others, you know, mentoring, discipling, all of that. So these are just uh, seven prayers that I pray, and I really hope that you will take this. You know, I mean, you're welcome to have these, but I mean, you, that you develop your own and think about some set prayers that are just good for every Christian to pray regularly or daily in your life. I highly, highly commend it. Well, we're going to close now with a time of prayer. And I want to pray uh, through the Lord's Prayer. And Julie is going to come back to the piano, and she's going to be pray, playing quietly, and I'm going to lead us 
uh, back through the Lord's Prayer, uh, and we'll close in that way before we have our closing hymn. Let's pray together. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer as our form, and we're going to fill it with some, uh, some ways God is going to teach us through the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that we're in this together as the community. And we can approach you with, with grace extended to us by your loving hand. We thank you that you have, through the blood of Jesus, you've brought us in relationship with you. We can call you Abba, Father. We thank you for that. And Lord, we hallowed your name. We praise your name. We exalt your holy character. We, we praise you for your covenantal purposes. We thank you for your redemptive power in our lives. And we pray that your name would be great and exalted in this world. We pray that your name would be blessed forever. And that our lives be framed by worship and framed by your character. And Lord, we do pray boldly that your kingdom would come on this earth. Lord, we know we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is shattered. We live in a world that is lost and wandering and needs the glorious rule and reign of God. And we pray it would break in that, Lord, every church in this land, every church in this world would be an outpost of the new creation in Adam's world. Lord, we pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Lord, we pray that those who stand opposed to your will and opposed to your reign will be silenced. And Lord, that your word would go gloriously forth into this land and around the world. Lord, we pray that you'd give us this day, on this day, what we need. Lord, there are students here who don't know how they're going to pay their tuition or how they're going to go back home to a broken family facing final exams, children who are sick. Lord, there's no end to it. And Lord, we put it all into your hands right now. Lord, help us to not worry about tomorrow. But Lord, give us the gift of this day to walk before you in humility and truth. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor Lord, forgive us, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring to mind those that we have not forgiven or those that have harmed or hurt us. We pray that we'd forgive them and we would offer forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Lord, there's people right here in this room that, have, that are right now before you sensing pain and hurt in their lives because of something that someone said something that someone did, something that was propagated in a way that brought hurt or shame into their lives. And Lord, we just want and pray that you would give us that spirit of forgiveness and you well up into us a spirit of joy, of the power to realize how much we have been forgiven. And therefore, we go forth as the reconciled people of God to forgive those around us. Lord, give us that this day. Even those in our own family, Lord, where we have brokenness, Lord, help us to forgive. 
Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lord, we know that you do not tempt us, but Lord, we know that you allow us to be tested. And we pray that when we are tested, that we would be able to pass the test, that you would strengthen us for each test that makes us stronger and more equipped to serve you, Lord. Lord, there's shame in this room because of failed tests, not just examinations and professors, but these spiritual tests that we've failed. Lord, we pray that you would renew us in your abundant love. Renew us in the power of your grace to stand up and rise and walk afresh in the power of Christ. And Lord, deliver us from all evil, evil in this world, the loss of civility, the loss of moral argument, the loss of stable institutions, the loss of, of moral authority, moral integrity in this world. Lord, deliver us from all of that and let us walk in holiness and purity before you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.